in about March this year, um, we started with a series in the book of Romans. This is something that our church loves to do, and it's been such an incredible journey. For those of you that have been on this journey with us, we have learned so much over these months um, about the gospel and about God's grace, and it really just establishes everything that we believe about the gospel, everything we believe about God, His love for us, His heart for us. It's amazing. We always say that the more you know, the better it gets. Uh, I know that's from Supersport, but I, I've taken it for myself, right? The more you know, the better it gets, and, um, and it's really true. And so the more you know about the context and the history and the purpose and the intention and what Paul's actually saying, you stop reading your Bible by just like flipping over pages and going, well, I don't really know what that means, but let's go to the next page. At least I've done my reading. Um, we actually get into it. We actually understand it, and that's when it begins to make an impact in our lives. There's one thing to hear as the Bible says that the people of Israel, the same gospel that was preached to us was preached to them also, but it did not benefit them because they did not mix their hearing with faith. And so it's not just about hearing, but it's about faith. It's about believing in what you hear personally, individually, in a very real and an authentic way. So it doesn't help you come to church and just listen, although I'm glad that you do and it's a good place to start. But we've got to also mix what we hear with faith. We've got to put our belief in those things that we hear. And, and that's when it begins to, to really uh, change us and develop us and shape us from the inside. And so um, this, this series has been such a blessing to our lives. Uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome, um, and it's considered the greatest exposition in all of Christianity, um, in all of Scripture, on what the gospel is. And Paul starts out being very systematic. He systematically wants to put an argument forward, a theological argument, as to why we need Jesus and why we can only be saved by the grace of God, and why, um, you know, how God has weaved the story together through Israel and through all of the history and into the birth of the church and, and all of that. And he puts that together so beautifully in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Um, and then he switches to this practical theology that we've been looking at um, over the last few weeks where he, he talks about what happens in your life once you start to believe this. When you mix your hearing with faith, your life's gonna change. It, it absolutely is going to change. If your life's not changing, then it's probably because you're not putting your faith in what you're hearing. But when you put your faith in what you hear, there will be a change in your life, a tangible, real, authentic change. That, that, and you know how you know when your life is changing? Is when other people tell you that it's changing, right? When other people come up to you and go, there is something different about your life. There's something that looks different, you know, sounds different, you're, you're, the way you conduct yourself is different, and this is not something that we put on as an act. Oh, now I'm a Christian, so let me act very Christian so that people can think I'm, I'm better than what I was. No, this is something that comes out of, it's a natural cause of mixing your hearing with faith. And so Paul says, when you mix your hearing with faith, um, this is how your life is gonna change. This is what it's gonna look like, and, and, and that's because the gospel of God's grace is powerful, it changes us. And, and so since we moved into Romans 12, uh, a couple of weeks back, we started speaking about the marks of a changed life. What, was you, what, what, what will the effects be in your own life once you start putting your faith in Jesus? And what are the effects of a mark or the marks of a life that's been changed by God's grace? It's our little sub-series here at the end of the book of Romans. And so since we started that series, uh, as we moved end of Romans 11, beginning of Romans 12, what we've seen, number one is, the first thing that will happen when you mix your hearing with faith is that you will have this, this, this overflow of gratitude in your life. You'll become a grateful person. 
Whereas so often we're cynical and we're hardened and we're ungrateful and we're complainers and we, uh, and we bemoan our lives and everything else. The moment you realize what Jesus has done for you, the first and foremost thing that happens is there's a there's this sense of gratitude that wells up and it spills out and spills over into worship. Worship is simply that response. It's simply us going, I, I cannot believe what God has done for me. It's, it's so incredible. It's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And so I want to thank him. You know, when somebody does something for you and you become truly thankful, you know, you, you want to take every opportunity and every measure and every step that you can to express that gratefulness and that thankfulness. And it's the same with true worship. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It comes from within you because you recognize what God has done. And so you just overflow in this gratitude and, and gratefulness and, and, and thankfulness. And, and so that's the first thing that we looked at is the sense of worship and gratefulness um, and the ability to live a changed life from that point onwards. The second thing we looked at right in the beginning of, uh, of, of Romans 12 is how um, you will be, then because of the fact that you're grateful and you recognize that it's by God's grace that you've been changed, you will forget yourself. You'll just forget yourself. It will be humility, but not the kind of humility where you tell people that you're humble. It'll be the kind of humility where you forget to tell people you're humble because you're not even thinking about yourself. There's this genuine sense of self-forgetfulness and you'll start serving in a way that you've never served. You'll actually want the opportunity to serve and to show love to others and to be involved in church and to employ the gifts that God has given you. You'll actually look to do that. You'll look to be generous. You'll look to give. You'll look to be a part of a bigger story um, because you'll forget yourself. You won't make your life about yourself anymore. That's what we looked at in, in Romans 12. We looked at then in, in Romans 13 about how God will develop within us a culture of honor, a culture of honor, a culture where we can honor authority in our lives and submit out of reverence to Christ and not have to be the first and not have to, to always be the most important, but instead we can submit because we trust that our lives are in God's hands. And we trust that even when, when things aren't going the way that we were expected, that He is ultimately in control. So once we've submitted to the Father and we trust Him, we can submit to whatever earthly structure we're called to submit to because it doesn't define our value and our worth. So we looked at another mark of a changed life in Romans 13 would be a culture of honor. And we spoke about the beauty of submission. And then finally, last week, we, uh, we spoke about this heart for, for others um, that, you that we see in Romans 14, where we are able to no longer judge one another. And he, he really hones in on Christianity here, uh, Paul, in Romans 14, where he says that we shouldn't become, and, and I'm paraphrasing and summar summarizing what, what he was saying in that, in that chapter, but he was saying, don't become so good at your Christianity that you actually end up being bad. Don't become so self-righteous and so good at doing all of these things that we're called to do that you actually judge those who don't do them and don't argue about non-essential things. We spoke about how there are essential things to our faith. There are the foundations of our faith, the, the incarnation of Christ through uh, the Virgin Mary and, and the, the, the birth of Jesus on this earth and his, his physical life there where he was tempted on every point yet was without sin and his crucifixion on the cross and, uh, and, and his burial, his resurrection, his appearing to the people, his ascension, uh, the, the birth of the church, all those things are, are essentials. And we have unity in those things. We believe in them together, and we will tell you what we believe. And if you're going to be 
be a part of this faith will ask you to consider those things and to believe them. But then there are non-essentials like, should you have tattoos? And can you have a beer when you're at the braai? And, uh, and, and should you be singing new songs or old songs in church? Which song is going to bring the anointing? You know, these kinds of things people argue about as Christians. And, 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 and Paul basically just says, please don't do that. Please don't come here and argue about silly things. He says, if there are those that are weaker in their faith, and by weaker, it means that they feel that there's certain things they shouldn't do because it's gonna affect their relationship with God. When you have strong faith, you know that nothing you do can affect your relationship with God. And so, um, and so you wouldn't wanna do things that God is, is asking you not to do. So there's a, there's a trust relationship between you and the Holy Spirit. But for people that don't have that, they go, well, if I eat this thing, God's gonna leave me. God's gonna abandon me. So they're weak in the faith. And so they abstain from a lot of things because they have to supplement their faith. And so Paul says those are the ones in weaker in faith, but he says to all of us, don't judge them. If that's helping their faith in this phase, leave them be. If that's how they wanna honor God, let them honor God without eating or drinking or by observing the Sabbath or by you know, uh, abstaining from whatever thing it is that they have in their heart to do as long as they're fully convinced that they're honoring God, let them honor God in that way. But in the same way, those of you that abstain from all those things, don't come in here and, uh, or go into a different situation where there's a bunch of Christians and then judge those people for not living out those non-essentials in the way that you do. So don't judge either way, he ultimately says. Our heart is for each other. And he says, so essentially it's it summed up so, so beautifully by this quote that we, that we quoted last week that said that in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. We act in love. And so even if you're one of those people that believes that you don't have to abstain, if, you're, if you recognize that not abstaining is gonna offend or harm the faith of someone else, out of love, rather just abstain. Rather just abstain, even though you, won't, you know it won't affect your relationship with God, act in love and abstain for the sake of others. In other words, we're not here to just do what we wanna do, and in and, and, and our Christianity, we have no responsibility towards one another, but we actually do have a responsibility. We've gotta consider those that are weak in the faith, not judge them, but help them. And I love what Paul says, he says, we can welcome them, he says, welcome those that are weak in the faith, not so that you can quarrel with them about opinions. Because <laughs> that's what Christians do, right? They come in here, let's welcome, no, you're welcome, you're welcome, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about this. Don't welcome people so that you can quarrel about opinions. Instead, he says, welcome them because God has welcomed them. If God has welcomed someone, why would we not welcome them? And even if you think that they're gonna fall and they're gonna falter and they're gonna stumble, Paul says, because they will answer to God, who are we to judge the servant of another? They will answer to God, and the Lord himself is able to make them stand. So sometimes we think people can't stand without our help, but we forget that they've got a great support in the Holy Spirit. They've got a great guide, uh, guide, uh, uh, leader or somebody to guide them, a guide on the road in the Holy Spirit. And we forget that. And so we feel like, if I don't tell this Christian right now how to change his life, he's gonna be lost forever. And there's a place for instruction, there's a place for correction, there's a place for guidance. But ultimately, it's God who causes these people to stand and will uphold them. So that's what we've covered uh, up until this point. And today we move into Romans 15. And uh, I'm gonna go from Romans, I'm actually just gonna focus on the first seven verses of Romans 15. I'll do the rest of Romans 15 next week. Um, but Romans 15 verse one, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, 
Uh, you can turn there right now, Romans 15 verse one. I encourage you to bring your Bibles and to make notes and to take this down so that you can refer to it later. Um, also, I hope this morning that you like the person that, you, that you're sitting next to today. Just look over at the person next to you. Do you like that person? All right, if you don't, if you don't, um, you, you better start trying to like them because we're gonna be together in eternity, okay? For all of eternity, you're gonna see that face. Pretty or not so pretty, you're gonna see that face in eternity. And so we might as well start liking each other right now. If you feel like it, you can even say, hey, I like you. Just go ahead and say, hey, I like you. Some, some of you whispered under your breath, like most of the time, like sometimes, but that's okay. We're gonna be together forever. Romans 15 verse one. Listen, Paul doesn't wanna let up on this issue around the church and unity and love for one another. He's, you know, he, he, this obviously matters to him. This is obviously, he spent the whole of Romans 14 talking about how we shouldn't judge each other as the church and we should love each other and, and we should understand that there are certain areas that are down to personal conviction as opposed to a doctrine and a, and a principle for everybody in the church as like a, one, a one, fit, one size fits all policy. He's like, there are some things that are down to, to personal interpretation and what you prefer, um, not the essentials, but the non-essentials. And then he, he continues in, in Romans 15 verse one. Uh, let's read these seven verses together. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. We have an obligation to bear with the, with the ones that are weak and that are failing and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance, have you ever heard God being called that? Hey, he is the God of endurance. He is the God of endurance and encouragement. The God of endurance and encouragement, that is beautiful. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, together with one voice. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Wouldn't it be amazing if we welcomed one another to church the way that Jesus welcomed us into the kingdom? Like no judgment, no condemnation, no shame, no please fix this before you can come in, no looking up and down, you know, no, no, no judgment, but just you're welcome here. Open arms, running out like the father to meet the prodigal son, embracing. It would be a little bit weird if our welcome team did that. I mean, I think some people wouldn't wanna come back to church if we had people running from the doors and grabbing you in the parking lot but the heart is the same. The heart is, is that we wanna welcome each other here the same way that Christ has welcomed us. So I wanna share a message with you this morning entitled, Together With One Voice. Together With One Voice. And I'm just gonna go ahead and, and, and pray for us, let's go. Father, we thank you so much this morning that 
God, we can know that we are welcome here because you have welcomed us. Every single individual in every single seat is welcome because you are the one who welcomes. And so, Father, we pray that you would recreate that heart in each of us, God. Give us that spirit as a church. Give us that spirit as Christians. Give us that spirit as individuals where instead of arguing about non-essential things, we are able to love each other truthfully and authentically, Lord God. Father, where we struggle, we thank you for the hope that we find in your scriptures. We thank you, God, for the encouragement that we receive from you and the grace that we have to love each other as a supernatural community of God. And we thank you, Father, that we can be a beacon of light in the city. We thank you that more and more people can be welcomed into this church and into churches all over the city so that we can truly be that community, that city set on a hill, that light that shines and that draws all people unto you. We thank you, Father, for your word this morning, how it encourages us, how it strengthens us to do what you've called us to do. And we give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. So it's a beautiful day today. It's a beautiful summer's day. It's here in the beginning of December in South Africa. I don't know if there is a more beautiful time in a more beautiful country anywhere in the world. I absolutely love the feeling of, uh, of, of December summertime in South Africa. You know, uh, yesterday afternoon I was outside and I could just smell the braai, you know, and I went out and I went to my own house and I made my own braai and I, it's just so good because it's summertime, the kids are swimming, you know, the birds are chirping, the, the, the meat is braaiing and, um, and, it's, and it's a great time. We've got great weather in this country, especially here in Joburg and we've got great people, friendly people. I believe that Joburg, especially even though we can be such an aggressive city at times, uh, you just have to go to some other cities to find out how friendly people in Joburg really are, right? We've got a great city, and, and if you do go down to the coast over the holiday time, we have beautiful beaches, and there's generally this party vibe uh, over the time of, of December. You know, for, for the guys, it's, it's sun's out, gun's out, you know, they, they all rush off to Cotton On to get their little vests for the beach, um, and, uh, and, and, and the guys that aren't at the beach yet, they're all hitting the gym double time, you know, they have to get, uh, they have to get DAC for VAC, um, which is something Ryan knows all about, that's what, it's the only time Ryan goes to gym, is just before he goes on holiday, um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's amazing, and, and uh, summer is so much fun, but one of the things that for me has always been so fun about summer, I don't know if you've noticed this, but every summer kind of has its own anthem, a song that comes up at this season, um, and that, that just, you just want to listen to it, and when you listen to it, you just want to go to the beach, or you just want to go hang out or have a braai with people. Or, um, and I remember from years ago, there was a cell phone company that had an ad, um, and there was this song that played. And every time I heard it, I'm like, I, the first time I heard it, I was actually at the beach, and I was like, this is amazing. I just wanted to hear it because it gave me that, that feeling of, of summer and, and of fun. And, and every year, there's a new song that kind of becomes the anthem for summer. And, and I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about how much better life is when it has a soundtrack. Don't you sometimes wish that we could just like insert soundtracks into life where, you know, you, you just done something amazing. You know, you got all your Christmas shopping done. You went out, you faced the crowds, uh, you know, you walked through the malls, you stood in the queues, you found something for everyone, and now you walk out and you just have a soundtrack, like, like the end of an action movie. Like, you are victorious, you are the greatest, and you walk into the parking lot with your trolley, but it's in slow-mo, and there's this great soundtrack in the background, um, you know, life is just better when there's a soundtrack playing, and so I've even told, I, w I went out and, and bought a couple of these portable speakers here at Anchor Church, 
And I've told our staff, because I believe in this, um, I told our staff that where two or more are gathered in his name, there shall be music. Um, I never want to have two or more people together and there's no music in the background. I just want there always to be a, something playing in the background. It's just amazing how it just enriches everything we do. And so um, you'll see that at the cafe we have these. And when we have courses, we have these, this music playing. And even in the office, when we're in the office, there's music playing, uh, worship music or whatever we've got going. And, and, um, and it's amazing. We just love it when life has this soundtrack to it. Um, and uh, I, I found a video online that actually shows you how much poorer we, we would be if there was no music uh, to a specific, um, you know, to a specific song, if there was no melody, if there was no harmony. So I've actually, I want to show you this. It's a song by Pharrell Williams called Happy. And you probably know the song, but this is what it sounds like without music. Let's just take a listen. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. there. How many of you agree that that's totally awkward, right? When life has no music to it, it's just totally awkward. There's no soundtrack, nothing's happening, and, um, and there's no harmony. In fact, what I love about that video is that the best part in that video was the church, right? Because there were some people making some noise in harmony with one another, and that's the best part of that, that video. And, and that's so true to what I want to say to you today. And what I believe Paul is saying here in Romans 15 is that the world is better when the church makes one voice, or makes a sound with one voice. When the church is in unity, when the church is in harmony, when people are able to sing together, when we glorify God together, when we stand together, when we love one another, and when we sing out this song out over our cities and out over our our, our world, the world is better because of it. And, um, and so that is what life would look like if it had no sound and no, no, no soundtrack to it. So I believe that, that heaven has a rhythm. I believe that there is a soundtrack in heaven that is playing and that we as people can hear. 
You know when you're kind of sitting in your, in your house or when you're somewhere stationed somewhere or you're sitting in your car and you can kind of just faintly hear music and you'll tell the person that's with you like, hey, hey, just do I hear music? That's kind of like the soundtrack from heaven. It, it, it's actually blaring out throughout the whole world and it has done so across every continent and every culture throughout all of history. There has been the sound from heaven from the creator himself that has been resounding and echoing um, through, our, through our, our world. And so we, there's this song in heaven, there's this sound that comes from God and uh, Zephaniah 3.17 actually mentions God singing. Can you imagine God, the creator of heaven and earth? Sometimes we just see him all stoic, sitting on a throne, you know, not really moving much or just moving when he raises his arm for some sort of command or, you know, I don't know how I suggest this, but, um, you know, but Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will, qui- he will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. He will delight in you with singing. He will delight in you with singing. I love the fact that the one thing that gets God up off of the throne and gets him to burst out into song is his love for us. It's his love for you and it's his love for me. He rejoices over you with singing. And I believe that is the song that has echoed through the ages. It's the song of God's love. It's the song of God's goodness. It's the song of God's grace across the continents and cultures. And even though there are some that deny that a song exists, the truth is is that every human heart is searching for the source of that song. Because we see it in creation. We see it in a sunset. We hear the music when we watch a sunrise or a sunset or, or, or the beautiful parts of life. We, even in the difficult parts, we hear the music and, and, and we wanna know what is the source of that music. There is a search that has gone on through human history for the source of this. And it reminds me of my kids when we're in the house on a Saturday and everybody's just calm watching TV or doing whatever. And then all of a sudden we hear the ice cream truck. It could be like 30 kilometers away. I mean, it just left Pretoria, but my sons will hear it. My sons will hear it and they'll be like, an ice cream truck. And all of a sudden, there's a mad scramble to find loose coins and cash because the ice cream truck hasn't heard about Snapscan yet. And so, you know, we'll go out and we'll try and find the coins. And then my boys, I'm like, I'll get money, you run. And they'll run to the gate. um, And then they hope that the ice cream truck will pass by the gate so that they can find the source of the music and enjoy what it has to offer. And As a human race, that's what we all do. We hear this music, the beauty of life, the beauty of God, the beauty of His love and His grace. And and, and when we hear it, there's a search, there's a a pursuit that uh, is initiated in our hearts to find this thing that God um, has done. And so we want to be a part of that. And so people struggled for centuries to find the source of the music. And then God said, I'm going to show you the source. And He sent His Son, Jesus. And Jesus came down to make the music uh, uh, relatable to us so that we could hear it close up. So we can see the source. And everything that Jesus did was was basically a declaration of, of what the Father is like. Every word that he spoke showed us what God is like. Every person that he touched and healed was an expression of what the Father is like. Every, everything he did, including going to the cross for us, was an expression of this is what God is like. This is the music that you were hearing, but you couldn't quite make out the song. You couldn't, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you play golf and you hit the ball onto the green, they say that you're on the dance floor, but if you're very, very far from the hole, even though you're on the green, they say you're on the dance floor, 
but you can, you're barely hearing, hearing the music. And so um, that's kind of what it's like for us. It's like we were hearing, we were, on, we were in the space, but we're barely hearing the music until Jesus came and brought the music to us. This is the song. This is God's love. This is God's grace. And this is what God has for you. And so uh, this is what, what we get to hear through the life of Jesus. And when we read the scriptures, we find that. And so Jesus became like the conductor that's directing and revealing the sound of God's grace, moving hearts everywhere to hear the music. And every word, every healing, every uh, teaching motion, every action of his told us what God was like. This is the music. This is the place that you have been looking for. And so this is why the gospel is really not about rules. The gospel is really not about us uh, following rules off of a printed sheet because it would be like trying to dance to a step-by-step guide. You imagine there's music playing and somebody gives you a list of instructions. Step one, put your left foot forward. And so you read the instruction, you put your left foot forward. And then step two, you know, put your right foot forward and you're like, well, I'm back where I started. You know, it's just, it would be really bad dancing if you dance that way. The gospel is not about following principles external from the music, separated from the music. It's about being moved. It's about being moved by a rhythm of God's grace within our hearts. And that's something that I really believe in because I know how God has moved me. And so the church, therefore, we come back to this this idea of the church. The church is this divine party that's happening that God has set up. It's a group of people that are dancing to the rhythm of God's love. We're hearing the song. It's blaring out here on a Sunday morning. And together we are moved in that song. And we are able to to dance together. And to people on the outside, it looks crazy because they are not hearing the music yet. They haven't. It looks like that music video. They're like, those guys are crazy. They're doing moves. They're making sounds. And they're all seeming to having a lot of fun. But they're, they're a bunch of crazy people. It's only because they haven't heard the music. The moment they hear the music, they will begin to dance. They'll begin to move. I love what Robert Capon says about grace. He says, grace is the celebration of life, relentlessly hounding all the non-celebrants. That's so much like the church. You know, the church is the celebration of God's love, and we relentlessly hound those that aren't celebrating with us. It's just, we're irritating, because we're not gonna stop celebrating. It is a floating cosmic bash shouting its way through the streets of the universe, flinging the sweetness of its cassations to every window, pounding at every door in a hilarity beyond all liking and happening until the prodigals come out at last and dance and the elder brothers finally take their fingers out of their ears. That's what the grace of God is. It's this party. It's this cosmic bash. It's, cele- it's a celebration. It's, it's parading its way through the streets. It's knocking at every window. It's pounding at every door. It's like, come out and dance with us. This is an epic party. God is so good. His grace is so great. And people are like, what are you doing? And eventually the prodigals, they come out and they join the party. And the older brothers who are self-righteous, they take their fingers out of their ears and they're like, this is good music. This is good to listen to. I want to be a part of this. This is what the grace of God does. It relentlessly hounds the non-celebrants in this world. And that's the best party there is. Church is the best party that there is. This is the best community, the best place to be. And we have the job as the church of resounding praise to God. In Psalm 150 verse 5, it says, praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. 
So if, if, if you're one of those people that are like, there shouldn't be drums in church, well, David said there should be, all right? And that's why, that's not, that's why we have them, because there should be a clash of cymbals and, and a resounding noise. And, and, and I love that word resounding, because you could just simply see, if you look at it in the definition, I've actually got the definition up there, to resound uh, means a sound or a voice that fills or echoes through a place. It's when a sound is so loud that it reverberates, that the sound uh, echoes upon itself, that there is more than one sound. It goes from, from, there's one initial sound and then there's another and another and another and another and it just, it continually fills a room. It's, it's fullness. And so there's a song from heaven that goes out throughout the earth and, and people don't know where to find the sound and then we resound that same sound. We echo that sound to our world so that we bring it close to home for people. It's no longer just a sound coming out of heaven. It's a sound coming out of the local church, out of your life. When you go to work, you take the music with you. It's basically like you carrying one of these with you wherever you go and there's constantly a soundtrack of God's love at play and you walk into work and you put it down on your desk and everybody hears the music. And you go to school and, and, and you put it down and everybody hears the music and, and, and you go to your family and you put it down in the middle of the table right next to the, to, we, don't, we don't have turkeys, but we have chickens and we put it right next down, amazing chickens. We put it down next to the chicken and there's a sound. This is the sound that we carry with us. We are making a resounding noise, a reverberating noise that echoes and that fills the room um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It, it, it's, I love it. it says they echo or re-echo, to resonate. That's what we do with the sound that is from heaven. So God sings the sound, Jesus makes it clear, and we resound the same song to this world. It's our job as a church until the prodigals come out and dance. So here's the thing. We wanna make a good sound. We wanna do a good job of resounding the heart and the love of God. And the way that we do that is through harmony. Because if you've ever listened to a band where people are struggling to harmonize, it's horrible. It's horrible. You wanna, you wanna make them stop. Rather have no music than people that can't harmonize together. And so Paul says, you are here to resound the glory and the goodness of God to a world that wants to hear the music, so please make it a good sound. Please have harmony, please work together, please listen to the person next to you so that you can adjust your own singing to their sound so that together with one voice, you can glorify God. I remember we, we, we have such an amazing band and the guys are always, they work so hard and they do such a good job. But right in the beginning when, when our band was really new and the people were still getting to know each other, um, as we started Anchor Church, there was one particular morning where nobody was together, all right? Especially the vocalists. And I'm, I'm in general, I'm very kind and I'm loving and I'm gracious. My team hopefully will testify to that. But, but this morning I felt like we needed to speak the truth in love. <laughs> and so I remember going up to the band and I said, guys, I love you. I love your heart. Thank you for being here. But it sounds like demonic cats fighting with each other. <laughs> Please, rather, don't, let's, can one person sing? Can we just have one person sing today? Because <laughs> it's the worst when there's a lack of harmony in the church. And the lack of harmony amongst people that are making that sound. And so the better we harmonize, the better the sound. Do you see how there is a bigger picture here in the church? You know, we can so easily take our stand on our opinion or our doctrine or our thought or our Christianity or our upbringing or our heritage. This is how church should be done. We get it 
Every single week we get somebody telling us that church shouldn't be done that way, it should be done this way. And the, next, and the very next person will tell, will tell us that, no, 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 we must do it that way, but the other thing we must do a different way. Like everybody has a different opinion about how church should run, what it should look like, you know, whatever it may be. And we get all of those opinions. But do you see that there's a bigger picture than your opinion? And the bigger picture is what noise are we making to the world out there? Because when we stand in here and we argue with each other about opinions, it's a very disturbing noise that goes out to this world. It's a destructive noise. It's a noise that makes people run away from the church rather than come to the church. And those of you that have been in church long enough would have experienced it. There are times when people want to run in the opposite direction from church because we're making such a noise, such an ugly racket because we can't love each other and, and, and look past the non-essential things and just focus on what's important and focus on the overall song. Instead, we fight about little things. And Paul says, stop quarreling about the silly non-essentials because you're messing up the song. You're messing up the song. I remember um, playing drums um, in, in a school talent show thing. Um, that, I think it was the last time I ever played drums publicly, but, but we had this, we, our bassist couldn't make it on the day, and so we just got another bassist to stand in. It was like we were doing this band thing, and, and so I was playing drums. Um, I thought at that time, I still, I thought I was going to pursue that, and so I went for lessons, and I was playing drums, and we had this bassist come in, and this bassist, um, basically, when he, we practiced everything before, was fine, but when we got on stage, like, I don't know if it was inspiration or I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden this guy went nuts, just doing all kinds of, of, of fills and frills and, and his own thing and his solos. And we're like, where is he going? We don't even know what's happening in the song anymore. He didn't even look over at me once. Like we was, he, so basically, the rest of us played a song and he did his own thing. And that's horrible when that happens. And what I'm saying is don't do that at church. There's an overall song here. There's, there's, there's one piece of music and we're all reading from the same song sheet. Don't come in and just solo on your own bass so that it wrecks the song for everybody else. We've got to work together. Let's not mess up the song. Christians want to argue about silly things like tattoos or drinking wine or Sabbaths or fasting or, or whatever other crazy thing we've heard in the church. And it's just... A massive exercise in missing the point of what we're here to do. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. Everyone there will know that we are his disciples. How? If we love one another. That's the sound that we want to make. So yeah, we can discuss things. We can talk about the value of things. We can talk about the wisdom of things. But let's do it in love so that there is love amongst each other. Let's not become a poor witness with no harmony. If you have kids, sometimes people that don't have kids buy your kids toys that make noises. <laughs> sometimes even instruments, like rattles, whistles, drums, and my kids unwrap it, and I'm like, oh, great. Thank you for that gift. It's going to sound amazing when my three boys are all playing their instruments separately at 5 a.m. Thank you so much for this gift. <laughs> and all the parents said amen. <laughs> but it reminds me of, of, of this verse here in 1 Corinthians 13.1. It says, if I speak 
human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging, and that word clanging is the same word as resounding symbol. You see, we can be resounding, but resounding a, a noise. What will make it a noise? What will make it sound like just a horrible, noisy gong? What will make it sound like three boys playing three different plastic instruments at 5 a.m. if we don't have love? If we're operating outside of love? If we're standing on opinions and, 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 and not honoring one another with our words and, and doing things that, that, aren't, that, that aren't honoring of God or each other or of the unity that we want to have as a church, it'll just make a noise. It's just a clanging symbol. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I don't care how spiritual you are, how theological you are. I don't care if you have more degrees than a thermometer. If you don't have love, you are nothing. That's an oldie, but a goodie. You're nothing. We are nothing. We produce nothing. We just make a noise that's of no value. Without love, we're a clanging symbol. Instead of resounding the song of God's love, we're making a noise. In Matthew 23, verse 24, one of my favorite scriptures, I didn't understand it at first, and then when I understood it, I loved it, and so hopefully I can help you understand it this morning. But Matthew 23, 24, Jesus is addressing the religious people, the Pharisees, and he says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. You know, normally we read those things that Jesus says, like, okay, Jesus, <laughs> I mean, what? Whatever dreams you were having the night before, like that is crazy. But actually, this is an amazing scripture because Jesus was talking to the religious people that are supposed to be the guides, the, the leaders of the church. And what they would do is um, there are two, both those animals, the gnat, the little gnat and the camel are both unclean for the nation of Israel to eat. They were declared unclean. And so the Pharisees were so particular about making sure that they do everything right according to the law that when they drank wine in those days, they didn't have fridges or cupboards or you know, wine cellars. Well, they had wine cellars, but not everybody had them. And, and so there would be wine out on the table and you would have, in the heat, you would have gnats that would fly around and sometimes fall into the wine. And so the Pharisees were so worried about breaking the law that what they would do when they drank their wine is they would keep their teeth closed and, and, and drink the wine through their teeth so that they could strain out the gnat um, and instead of accidentally eating something that was unclean. That's the, the, the level that they went to in order to do what was right according to the law. And Jesus says, yeah, 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 you're, you're nitpicking, or maybe rather gnat picking, the little, <laughs> see what I did there. Okay, so... On the, all the little issues, oh, church must be like this, and church must be like that, and, 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 and the pastor must wear this or say that, and the team must, and the, and the music, and the cafe, and the smile, and the thing, and all the things that we hear. It's all little nitpicking things, or we're all straining out the gnats. But then at the same time, Jesus is saying, you're swallowing a whole camel, in that you pick on the little things, but then you don't have love, which is the biggest thing of all. So in other words, Jesus is saying, in being so right, you've become so wrong. You've missed, and, and you're betraying the heart of the gospel in such a big way in order to be right on, in such little ways. So let's make sure that we're right first in the big things, in our love, in our faith, in our encouragement, in our heart, in all those things. Let's make sure that we're doing that right, and then later on we can nitpick on the small things. But let's not strain out the gnats while at the same time swallowing camels. It's a massive deal to God. 
when the Son of God himself addresses religious people on this issue, you gotta know that it means something to God. It matters to God that we are in unity and that we put the, the, the first things first. So he says, if you are strong, then bear with the weak and the failings of the weak. If you are strong, don't just do what's good for you, but do what's good for your neighbor. That, that, that's how we can make sure we don't swallow the camel, is do what's good for your neighbor, not just what's good for you. In other words, we're not here to just please ourselves, but we're here to love each other and consider others in our Christian living. He says, this is an obligation that you have. God views our the way that we treat those that are weaker in the faith that are still starting in their journey or that haven't have a, have a full revelation of his grace yet, he, he views the way that we treat those people as an obligation. So none of us in this place are islands. None of us can wash our hands and walk away and say, well, I, it's got nothing to do with me. It has something to do with all of us. The faith of your neighbor is something that we are there to encourage and to support. And this is the example of Jesus. Paul says that he didn't do what he did for himself. He didn't just consider himself and, and do that. He, he did what was best for us. Even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't want to go to the cross. But he did it for us. He did it because that was what God was calling him to do. So it, it quotes the Old Testament here and it says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Our sin fell on Jesus. In other words, he carried our burdens and as a community of Christ, God is saying that in the same way that Jesus carried our burdens when we were weaker, we have now got the obligation to, as a supernatural community of God, to carry the burdens of one another. You're like, well, I can hardly carry my own burdens. How am I gonna carry the burden of another? Simply by trusting in God's grace. This is what God is gonna do in your life. And, and I know what you're thinking. I know that you're thinking that this is easier said than done because people can be silly sometimes, right? And then we're like, yeah, I wanna do what the Bible tells me. I wanna love all people, but this guy's an idiot. You know, like just, do you know what he did? Do you know what she did? Do you know what they said? How can we have unity when we feel that the people that we're surrounded by or some of the people that are in the room or that, are, that we've been on a journey with before, um, are people that are difficult to get along with. How do we maintain unity under those circumstances? Listen to what it says, we've already read this, but it says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So he actually says, the way that you're going to love others, even when they're difficult to love, is through having endurance, and through finding encouragement in the scriptures as to what this community is actually supposed to look like. You see, sometimes dealing with one another takes endurance. And that is not something that our world has a lot of. People are desperate for community, but they can't find it in the church or anywhere else because the one thing that community requires is commitment. You cannot have a community without commitment. You won't have friends if you are kind of loosely committed to actually being their friends. It requires commitment. It requires endurance. Maybe there's some things that you don't like here at Anchor Church, and that's okay, but have endurance and take encouragement from the scriptures as to the kind of church that we're supposed to be. 
And then he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement. So God gives you both of those things. He'll give you the endurance and he'll encourage you. May he grant you to live in such harmony with one another, harmony, voices together. May the God of endurance and encouragement give you the ability to live in such harmony in accord with Christ. As we, as we focus on Jesus, as we look to Jesus, as our eyes are lifted up to Jesus, all of us are brought together in harmony. And that really is the key. When we can take our eyes off of ourselves and our own opinions and instead focus them on Jesus and his love, all of a sudden it's like he draws us in line. He draws us together with him. That together with one voice, we may glorify God. That's how it's gonna do. When, when we love each other in that way, we're gonna be able to glorify God. And my hope for our church is that we may with one voice glorify God. That this would be a God-glorifying church and that we could make one sound, that we wouldn't argue about silly things and non-essentials and theological uh, uh, you know, um, differences of opinion, but instead that we would all fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's why the one thing we wanna do every Sunday and every time we meet and what our church is all about, it's all about Jesus because as we lift up Jesus, we're all in one accord. He finishes in verse seven by saying, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I want you to notice that as we close today, that when we welcome each other, it glorifies God. It brings glory to his name. To bring glory means to express the, the wonders of his character and his nature. When we, when we welcome each other, it expresses, it declares to the world the kind of God that we serve. It declares his grace, it declares his goodness, it declares his love. You can show the love of Jesus to somebody else by the way that you welcome them. And in that way, you are bringing glory to God. When we focus on the conductor and we all sing that music together and we all focus on that, on that conductor, we will make a beautiful sound that will emanate from this church it will echo through the streets of Joburg and through the streets of our nation and people will come running to hear the music. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together.